Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26. This is a, this is an interesting chapter this week. Um, it's a good thing that nobody has been with me during my devotion time in the morning. Um, I sat at my dining room table yesterday morning, and uh, I began to read through this chapter and feel the heaviness of what in the world's going on here. If you if you haven't been reading it, it won't make sense until until I talk to you about it tonight. But I sat at the table and literally just began to shake my head, trying to figure out what in the world somebody would be thinking to have everything that they had going for them the way that King Uzziah did and then to be so foolish. And uh, I want the Lord to help us tonight. I feel like I have a word. Let's read the fifth verse together. This is, uh, this is our focus verse for the week and then we'll just kind of work through there. You've been standing for a while. And he sought God... In the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. I'd like for you to put your Bibles down, if you would. We're going to ask the Lord to speak to us in this place tonight. I feel like the Lord has a word for this church, and I feel like it's fitting for this time of the year. I want him to help us tonight. Would you join me right now? Lift your hearts and your hands and your voices. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, speak to your church tonight. Speak to your church tonight, Jesus. Speak to your word tonight, Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes from a simple subject. For the sake of your remembrance, I want to title our lesson for tonight, The Incense of Arrogance. You may be seated in Jesus' name. When you start reading about Uzziah, at least for me, let me speak for me. When I start reading about Uzziah, usually the first place my mind goes to is Isaiah 6 and 1. For this is where the prophet Isaiah declares that in the year King Uzziah died. I saw also the Lord, he was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Uzziah was such a powerful king. His circumstance was quite unique in that his father Amaziah passes and so Uzziah rises to the throne of Judah at the age of 16 years. Okay? 
I want you to think about, if you've read it all in the Chronicles, the history of what's going on. Actually, uh, Amaziah has been going back and forth between Israel and Judah. Uzziah goes back and forth between Israel and Judah in his reign. Uh, Amaziah goes back and forth between uh, Judah and, and uh, the Edomites. And what he did is he brought in some mighty men from, from the army of Israel to fight with him. And then the Bible said, it doesn't name who it was, and I've always wondered who it was. Of course, there can be a lot of assuming here, the presumption as to who it was, but it said, this is, this is Uzziah's father. It said that the Lord sent him a man of God. It doesn't say who it, who it was. It said the Lord sent him a man of God. And he said, you send those boys back down to Israel, back into Israel. I've got this. And so upon this, the hand of the Lord is somewhat turned against him and, uh, and destroys the Edomites. And then the men of Israel come to him. And uh, it's a very, very dark story. But in all of this, a 16-year-old emerges at the death of his father. And he is seated on the throne of Judah. Now, how many of you in this place remember what your life was like at 16? This is not going to be a confession tonight, okay? How many of you felt like you knew everything there was to know at about 16 or 17? Yeah. <laughs> what, would you be, what would you give to be able to go back to 16 and know then what you know now? Would that not be amazing? I'd probably be a multi, 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 multi-millionaire if I knew then what I know now. I could have avoided a lot of pitfalls, a lot of heartaches if I would have known then what I know now. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned uh, as I've grown older, and thank God I'm still extremely, extremely, extremely young, and I thank God for that. One of the greatest lessons that I've learned in my youth is that there are some things that just aren't worth it. Can I just be brutally honest with you tonight? Uh, I was online today, was just kind of scrolling through Twitter. There's a lot of things in uproar today and a lot of stuff going on online people saying stuff and as I was scrolling down through there I, I read a couple of things and Bishop I, I said my foolish self would respond to this but my smart self says it's not worth it because you can you can be right and be miserable you can cast your pearl before swine and wish so bad that you would have just held your peace. I would rather go to bed at night with peace in my mind and just know that I'm all right with God than I would to give everybody a peace of my mind that needs, you understand what I'm saying? And here's what's sad, the more immature you are, the quicker you justify your actions. And you say, well, they deserved it. Well, they... They may have deserved it. But the, the thing is, if you look back on those, 
conversations, you didn't change one thing. You didn't fix anything. I came uh, at a young age back, uh, back home. I had been gone for a while. I'd been traveling, and I had been a short stint in Mississippi. And uh, had worked on staff at a church there, and I came back home at 18 years of age to work full-time in this church. And uh, looking back on that, uh, quite honest with you, my ministerial experience was quite shallow compared to what it probably should have been. But I went to Mississippi and didn't know what in the world to do. Now, this is going to sound funny, but I, I still believe it works. I went to Mississippi at 18 years old, and uh, the first night we got there, the pastor told me, he said, you're going to be uh, our youth pastor, and uh, you're going to be working in our Christian school, and he said, oh, by the way, our piano player can't be here Sunday, so you're playing the piano Sunday, too. And so uh, I didn't know what else to do. I was 18 years old. And so there was a little room on the side of the, the platform area that had a bunch of stuff stored in it. And I went to the pastor. I was a little overwhelmed because first, that first Wednesday night I was there, I, I met the youth group and there were like 12 or 13 kids there and they all looked like they hated me and so I went to the pastor and I said what are you guys doing with that room he said it's just storage I said how would you feel about me making that into a prayer room he said sure let's do it so I went in there and made it into a prayer room and in about a three month time period that little group of 12 kids 13 kids started growing and that prayer room started growing every service and when uh, when I left there in the fall of that year in no about November of 99 that little prayer room was so packed out with 35 or 40 young people before every service that we would have Sunday night services when they would never play a note of music and we would just Church would start in the prayer room and we'd come fumbling out of the prayer room into the sanctuary and God helped us. Thank the Lord. Because being led by the Spirit will cover up a multitude of ignorance. When you don't know what to do, the best thing to do is just get a hold of God and let it happen. Come on. And that is exactly what my mind went to as I began to read about King Uzziah. It said that as long as he sought the Lord, as long as he sought the Lord, everything was all right. He prospered. He did well. So I came home in uh, January of 2000, and uh, we were in the old sanctuary, and so I asked Bishop St. Clair, I said, can I take the, the old fellowship hall part downstairs and start praying with the kids? So our young people started praying down there. And guess what, guess what started happening? Our kids were getting drunk in the Holy Ghost downstairs in the basement. We'd come upstairs and, and pastor couldn't start church. Our youth choir started growing. Young people started praying. They still acted goofy too. You can pray and act goofy too. But when we didn't have answers, we'd just seek the Lord. 
And I'm afraid that I can see a, a picture, and I, I'm working slow here right now because right. I'm working up to something here to help somebody tonight. You can seek the Lord and get enough answers that eventually you start getting boldness. And then with some boldness, you start getting a little arrogance. And you start thinking that God's response is because people are responding to you. And it's a dangerous place to be when God has been answering by fire. Can I tell you right now that there is a more dangerous place? And you can start, let me just give you one story. You can, you can start inserting this into story after story in the scripture. You could go to Elijah calling down the fire and the prophets of Baal being there that day and dancing, cutting themselves. And God answering the prophet of the Lord by fire. There is a more dangerous place to be, believe it or not, in that story than one of the prophets of Baal. You know where it is? It's to be the prophet Elijah and say, look what I did. That fire is here because of me. That water has been licked up because of me. And when we get to the place that we start feeling like that what God is doing for us, God owes to us. And that the reason why FPC is in the greatest revival we've ever been in is because we deserve that. And that the growth we're having right now is because we deserve that. And that the favor of the Lord that's on us is because we've been so good to God that we deserve it. We're in trouble. I want to tell you something tonight, FPC. We're closing out a year. We're moving into another new year on the American calendar. And I want you to understand that the reason why we are here today is because of the goodness of the Lord. It is not because I am such a wise pastor that I've got all of the answers that there are to have. The reason why people are getting healed and families are being touched and lives are being restored and people are being delivered and the waters of baptism are being troubled is because God has been good to this church. And so we've, we've got we've to understand that we are not where we're at because we pray. Okay, so I'm saying to you, it is not because I'm such a good prayer that God responds. Because my motive matters. What I'm saying to you is I better be praying whether he's answering or not. And as long as he sought the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Inherit the kingdom of Judah at 16 years old. Don't know what to do. You're in over your head. You're in deep water. Have no clue what to do. But as long as he sought the Lord, you know what this church needs to do? We need to seek the Lord. In 2020, we need to be guilty of seeking the Lord more than we have ever sought the Lord. Let me say it to you like this now. There have been times in my marriage, in my family, and as a daddy that I've had to seek the Lord for wisdom and direction on what to do next. But that's not the only time I'd better be seeking the Lord. I better be seeking the Lord when my marriage is good. I better be seeking the Lord when my children are healthy. 
You understand what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want to be an unfamiliar voice on heaven's hotline when I call and say, hey, Lord, my babies are sick. And he says, who is this? I hadn't heard from you in a while. I want him to hear from me when it's all good in the neighborhood. I want to tell the Lord on this cold December night at FPC in Anderson, Indiana, we're thankful for your blessings. And we know we're not here because of us. We're here because of you. We're here because of you. We're here because you've been good to us. Now, there is a little bit of intertwining of language in this story that I want you to be fully aware of because it makes a difference in the way that the way that you read this story, okay? So don't don't let this confuse you. In the fifth verse, and it was his custom to seek God in the days of Zechariah. Now, I don't want this. Uh, to mess you up too bad. But Uzziah is called by three different names in the scripture, okay? This same Uzziah that's king of Judah is called by three different names throughout the scripture. You'll find him in several different places. And why, they, why the language is, is this way in this chapter, I don't know for sure. But when it says to us, he sought God in the days of Zechariah. It was his custom to seek God in the days of Zechariah. It's speaking of himself. So Uzziah is known also as Zechariah, and he is known as Azariah. It's the same king, the same person. And so what the scripture is saying to us is that he sought God in his reign as king, and he had understanding in the visions of God. He was in a season in his life where he understood the things of God. And God was speaking things to him, and all was well. And as long as he sought the Lord, he prospered. You can go on down through the chapter for the sake of time tonight. I really don't have time to go very deep in this. But his greatness becomes very apparent to us that even as a young child, Uzziah was greatly admired by the people. He was such an admired king that at his passing, it literally floors the prophet Isaiah because it was such a sad ending. If you could read into the original language of Isaiah 6 and 1 in the year that King Uzziah died, why did he mention that? Because in that year, it was a very difficult time for him. Uzziah was much loved by the people. So what was the beginning of greatness takes a hard, hard turn to the left, and it's not a good thing. And so I want to take you to... A picture in this story if I can and I don't want to bore you to death but I can't really preach this to you without you understanding the concept of what happens in this story I want you to just join me in verse 16 I, I could not help tonight and I'm trying as I'm standing here this evening before you to not do such but I couldn't help but just begin to weep as I began to read through this story very difficult to read a Bible with small print with tears in your eyes, so I'm trying. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to destruction. How many people have fallen off their game 
at the height of their strength. I'm going to try to teach this to you tonight if I can. This church is on the right track. Bishop has been talking to me in secret and private times over the last year or so. And we've had some personal conversations about things and frustrations as a pastor that only a pastor would understand. And my dad would look at me and he'd say, son, I think, I think this church has turned in a direction better than what you think it is right now. Don't be frustrated. God's doing things in this church that you can't even see right now. And I had to hear that voice of reason in my head because it is often at the crescendo and the peak of what God is doing that we can become blinded and we can miss what God is doing. And the scripture said that when Uzziah got strong, he had done some pretty powerful things. There were mighty exploits being done. Go read it for yourself. You'll know what I'm talking about. I just want to get to where I'm going tonight. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Think about that. To his destruction. And as I read that, I thought, yeah. Yeah. Of course it was his destruction. He was the one that transgressed against the Lord. But why is it that in his destruction, Isaiah is hurting? Think about that now. It doesn't hurt anybody but me, Pastor. It doesn't affect anybody but me. This is between me and my wife. You leave it alone. Your kids are watching you. Don't affect anybody but me. And if I want to go there and do that and I want to miss church for this and I want to miss church for that, it don't affect anybody but me and I work hard during the week and God knows I deserve it. I'm telling you right now, it affects more people than you think it affects. Because the Bible said that he transgressed against the Lord and he was lifted up to his destruction. But his destruction made other people hurt. There were other people that were affected in the kingdom of Judah by the transgression of a man that got too strong in his spirit and he lifted up himself unto vanity and he thought he was bigger in his britches than he was. He was at a place he had been elevated by the hand of God And he took the blessing and the favor of the Lord in his life. And it became a language of arrogance to him. That I'm here because I'm strong. I'm here because I'm mighty. We've came through because of what I've done. And he lifted up his soul. And when he did, it was to his own destruction. But I want you to notice what happens in this moment. And I'm going to help somebody in this place. So go with me. Verse 16. He transgressed against the Lord his God. And he went in to the temple of the Lord to burn incense. Well, what's wrong with that, Pastor? He was a king. He wasn't a priest. He was not 
a priest. It was not his lot to burn incense. It was his lot to rule the people. To lead the people. To be a voice of reason and wisdom. But arrogance begins to confuse some things in people's lives. To the place where they take things that are reserved for holy things. And a soul that has been lifted up to vanity does not mind taking an unrightful place. And putting their hands on things that are supposed to be holy. And saying, I'm good enough to do this on my own. Now, this this is going to sound self-serving. I understand that because I'm your pastor. But if I don't preach it, who else will, okay? When you get to the place in kingly arrogance that you think you are so mighty that you can take the place of a priest in your life, you are walking in dangerous, dangerous territory. When you get to the place that you say, I don't need a man of God anymore in my life, I'll offer my own incense. I don't need a preacher in my life anymore. I can do this thing on my own. I'm telling you, I've seen better people than most try, and they have failed. You cannot make it without the priesthood in your life. It's not just about being in the house of the Lord and filling up a seat. Let me just tell you tonight, you need a man of God in your life. If I, if I could if I could tonight, I would teach a lot of this. It's really crazy. This dude was a brilliant engineer. He had wisdom beyond his years. He actually made what the, what the King James calls it, engines, like the, in your car, but it, not for that. He made automatic arrow throwers. Like, I'm talking about engineering beyond anything they had ever seen before. Incredible wisdom. Like what, what later became turrets and shooting machines. This guy right here was kind of the beginning of that. At the corner of the castle, they, they, they put turrets that would turn and shoot. And he did that with arrows. Can you imagine making a system that's just full of arrows? and It's like assault arrows. And so, his wisdom is great. He's great in war. He's great in power. But what does it take? For you to become so self-empowered that those two worlds become confused. And things that used to be reserved for holiness and godliness. That would require certain unction. Now, it doesn't matter anymore. Now, let me take you through this very quickly because I don't want to outstay my welcome. Now... He goes into the temple to burn incense to the Lord. Now, uh, I don't really know how to say this tonight without sounding slightly strong, so let me just be strong. But what some people call an incense, it stinks to God. He doesn't want everybody's incense, I just want you to know that. Because you can mingle some things up in that incense that's not a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. And you can say that it's an offering to God, but God is a God of order. He is a God of structure. 
We got a lot of focus in this generation on sacrifice, 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 and people think sacrifice negates faithfulness and vice versa. But Jesus taught it like this. He said, if you try to bring a sacrifice, but you still got aught in your heart against your brother, lay that sacrifice down, go find your brother before you bring it to me. He said, go make things right with your brother before you try to bring a sacrifice to me. We've got this thing backwards. Sacrifice doesn't mean anything to God when it doesn't come from a vessel of faithfulness. Let me, let me get this principle to you, Uzziah. You cannot be the king while you're acting like a priest. And God did not call you to be a priest. He called you to be a king. And while you're trying to do the job of the priest, the people are without a king. Trying to fulfill somebody else's calling. Man, I sure wish I had their anointing. Please don't say that. Oh, man, I wish I could preach like that guy. Please don't say that. Because you have no clue what that dude's had to walk through to get where he is. Are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? The reason why some people are so good at ministering to broken people is because they understand brokenness more than any of us do. They've walked places, and you can look at them and say, man, I wish I could do like that with people. Well, you've never been where they've been. You've never been broken like they've been broken. It's time that we as a body of Christ activate the gift that God has put in it. Not everybody's called to be a priest. Not everybody's called to be a king. We've got to function in what God has called us to function in, or you're going to live a life of frustration. Everybody doing all right? Uzziah walks into the temple of the Lord and he picks up incense and he says, well, I think if, I think if the priest can do it, then so can I. Here you go. Smell that, God? That's for you. And the Lord's response, this is not his words, his response was, you call that incense? Because I think it's arrogance. You're trying to fulfill something that you weren't called to fulfill and you've put your dirty hands on a holy sacred vessel and you're trying to offer something to me that you don't have any right to be offering. Now, this is incredible. I want you to walk through this with me now. And Azariah, uh, the priest came in after him. He brought four score priests with him. You know what? how many that is? That's 80. Uzziah was a type A personality, very strong. How do you know that, Pastor? Because the priest of the Lord said, I need, I need 80 of you to go walk with me and agree with this. 80, 80 men. He walked 80 men in there to try to talk him out of that. Now, I'm going to walk through a little principle with you here. Can I pastor you for a minute tonight? Can I just do this? I was sitting in my car yesterday. Uh... My wife had been shopping or I don't remember where we were. I was sitting in the car. And I thought, if you walk into a room and there's 80 people in the room and they're all wrong, 
probably need to reevaluate some things. Have you ever picked up on a trend before when you're trying to do something that if you were honest with everybody you knew in your heart, this is dumb. And everybody you talk to speaks the very same language. I, no, that's not good. Shouldn't do that. that. That's not a good thing. And you don't like what they say, so you go to the next person. And they say, man, I don't, I don't feel good about that. And your response is, well, I feel pretty good about it. So you keep going until you find somebody that will agree with you. I heard something said the other night, and I can't quit thinking about it. I've thought about it every single day. I was sitting with Bishop Wilson in Sacramento. He said, doctrines run in groups. I've thought about this every single day. Doctrines run in groups. Because you find somebody eventually that will agree with what you're saying. And of course it's going to be a godly person. Do you know how much they pray, Pastor? I do, but I'm not, try I'm not trying to be ugly, but when you took godly counsel from five, six, seven, eight other people and you finally find somebody to agree, that doesn't mean they're godly. It means they're weak and they don't have the guts to tell you this is not good for you. Yeah, but they pray a lot. Well, I know people that say they pray a lot, but I can't inspect them by their prayer. Jesus said you can, you can put it all on on the outside until your prayer shawl drags the ground. He said, but I want to know what kind of fruit is on your tree. Just because they pray on the street corner and they put on Facebook how, how much prayer they've had. every that Don't make them spiritual. We don't need Facebook prayer warriors. We need praying prayer warriors. We need people that will seek God. And you know how you can tell? Because they got fruit on their life. There's fruit on their tree. They're, they're not always just looking to be blessed. They're a blessing to people. Everywhere they go, you can tell they believe on him as the scripture said. Because they got rivers of living water flowing out of their belly. So 80, 80 wrong men came in. Think about that. 80 men walked in. He said, what are you doing? And this is always the moment. I know that, again, I know this, is, this sounds self-serving because I'm your pastor, but like, who else is going to preach? This is the moment right here where you can tell the heart of somebody, whether they're submitted to the man of God in their life or if it's lip service. I had a man of God tell me one time, he said, submission begins where agreement ends. Think about that. Think about it now. And so, he brings 80 men. And they stood beside Uzziah. Verse 18 is where I'm at. They stood beside Uzziah, the king, and they said, You're not supposed to be burning this incense. You're, 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 you're not supposed to do this. But the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Now, the King James makes it sound a little bit nicer. But the 
pro, the, 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 the priest looked at him and he said, get out of the sanctuary. He said, get out of the sanctuary because you have trespassed. And this is not going to be for the glory of God. God is not getting honor out of what you're doing right now. Do you know why this pulpit and this platform are so sacred to your pastor? Why this choir loft stays clean? Because I want everything that's done on this platform to honor God. I want every preacher that preaches here to honor God. I want every singer to honor God. I want every musician to honor God. We've come to a crazy place where we'll let an effeminate man on our platform because he's talented. Well, he's good. We need some bold priests that will stand up. Now, this is what's awesome. I, I don't have time to get into all this. But we've got, we've got the, the priest that comes in. This is what's so cool to me, Bishop, is that he found 80 men of God to agree with him. You understand what I'm saying? The ministry was on board with the ministry. And when, when he walked in and said, get out of the sanctuary of God... He didn't have to turn around to all 80 of them and say, are you convinced that this is right? Do you you preachers believe this is okay? Hey, I'm telling you right now, the last people in the world that we ought to have to be convincing are the preachers in Pentecost as to whether or not this is right. Oh, boy. That right there was tighter than a banjo. I wonder how long it'd take us to find 80 men that agreed on doctrine. (laughs) How far would you have to drive from this church to find 80, 80 people, 80 preachers that will agree of what's supposed to be happening in the holy sanctuary of God? Can I teach to you, church? You want, you want me to quit? I'll quit early. Why are we still trying to convince ourselves that this is right? I don't, I don't understand why it's up for debate. The separation that God has put in us as the body of Christ. How many more people have to leave standards of separation and the message of holiness and lose everything they've got Before another generation finally says, this is not up for debate anymore. We're going to preach it and teach it and believe it. And if they call us old-fashioned, then call me old-fashioned. But I want to be apostolic from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Now, I know what I'm risking right here. I'm going to sound just like my papa, so... I'm gonna, but but I'm gonna I'm gonna jump out here and get you some Papaw style right here. It used to burn his hide up when these suckers had come out and they'd say, "God gave me a revelation." He'd look, he'd look at me and say, "God didn't give him a revelation." 
You think you really think God is going to wait till December 2019 to reveal to somebody there's an easier way and there's a shortcut for us to have revival? You really believe that God's going to wait till right now to tell somebody holiness is not necessary and separation is not essential? Can I, can I just preach while I'm here? We need some men of God that will stand up and say, Get out of the sanctuary. You just get that off the platform. You're not bringing honor to God. Get, that. You get your hands off the censer. Get your hands off the piano. Get your hands off the drums. You are not bringing honor to God. Get out of the sanctuary. I'll live the rest of my life hearing that man say that. God didn't give him no revelation. You've heard me preach it and teach it and talk about it many, many, many times. I want to tell you what bothers me about that kind of language. God gave me a new revelation. I want to tell you what bothers me about that kind of language. Is that revelation and delusion feel so similar because they have the same source. Because they had not a love for truth, God sent them a strong delusion caused them to believe a lie. Who's the source of revelation? God's the source of revelation. Some of these guys, now, I'm not, I'm not being ugly. Please understand, pastor's not up here throwing darts. I'm telling you what this church is going to be. You understand what I'm saying? I'm telling you what, this church has to be. We can't afford to get so strong in 2020 and start thinking about building programs and what we're going to do and how we're going to make all this happen and all this and say, God, look at what we've done and then start saying, well, we're the reason it's like this, so it don't matter. But I'm just telling you tonight that some of these people are going to have to get a grip and realize that apostolic people are going to stop sending good people back this all right, Bishop? I'm not going to send good people back to churches that want to be less than apostolic and call it good ethics. I'm telling you tonight, church family, that if people are walking away from churches that don't want to preach truth and they're looking for a haven of truth, they've got a seat in this house. I'll never forget the day I received a phone call from an individual that lived in a different state. And they said, Brother St. Clair, there's some things going on in our church that we're uncomfortable with. And we've got an opportunity to relocate. He said, I will move my entire family to be in a church that I know is going to preach truth. And he uprooted his family and he took another job and he moved his family to this church. Hear me when I tell you right now. It is worth whatever you have to do to be sure that you're saved. We need to find some 80 men that will stand with the, the priest and say, I'm behind that. 
Well, I think it's silly that pastor had set you down for doing that. You only made one mistake. You don't, you don't understand. We can't have fornication on this platform. We can't, we can't have adultery. We can't have adultery on this platform. You don't understand. If it's not bringing honor to God, we got to get it out. I know it sounds like I'm preaching hard, don't it? Have I walked out of the book yet? not for you to burn incense, Uzziah. Leave the sanctuary. You've trespassed. It's not going to bring glory to God. Verse 19. Join me. I'm going to read this to you from the Hebrew Bible. Uzziah became furious. His wrath. In his hand was a censer to burn. King James said he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And he was wroth with the priest. I'll tell you what the Hebrew scripture says. It said that he started to take that incense censer and smite the priest with it. He got so angry. Listen now. This censer used to just be for sweet-smelling savor. Now it became a weapon. Now I'm going to let you preach this part. Where was it directed? Come on, who was, who was he trying to hit with it? Isn't it amazing how the priesthood become your enemy? For standing for righteousness. Think about that. Who was in the wrong in the temple right? Who was the one that had no business being in there? But he was going to give the priest a whooping. Because he was strong. You don't know who you're messing with. I'll take this incense and smite you on the head with it. You don't know who you're messing with. Now, I'm telling you folks right now, this has shook me all week. While he was wroth, in other words, the, the original language, as he, as he went to smite the priest, like he was going to hit the priest with the censer, leprosy came up on his forehead. I know this is not 2019 preaching right here. Think about this. How different would the church age be if when somebody went to lash out against the will of God, standing in the house of God. Look, this is not a Pentecostal sermon, okay? This is scripture. What do you guys, what do you guys think would happen? To the giving of the apostolic church If Ananias and Sapphira happened now You think people would give what God asked them to give? How many people would still be wrestling with whether or not 10% was alright? 
Bishop, I, I think tonight I was the author. You may have to be the finisher. I think about that. Just want you to think about it. How many times have you seen the church be the greatest thing that ever happened to somebody until they, somebody stands against what they're doing? Who is he to tell me I can't sing? Who is he to tell me that I can't preach? I'm going to tell you folks something tonight, and I mean this with all sincerity. I fear God way too much for that. You may think I'm crazy, but when I was a kid, I used to look at them men of God. They'd come to this church. Some old prophets, I could name some of them. We live back here behind the house where Brother Jordan and Sister Caitlin live. My mom and dad leave, come up to the church, and I'd get down on my face back here at the house. God, don't let there be anything in my life that that old prophet see tonight. Hey, I'm not lying to you. I'd get down there and get to praying, God. If I've dishonored my parents, if I've done anything, I want you to clean me up right now. Before I walk in that church tonight and that old prophet looks at me and says, the hand of the Lord is against you. Is that too tough on Wednesday night? You know, you know why we don't have that kind of fear anymore? Because people don't talk about it. It's unbelievable what people will do now when their heart's not right with God and they're the ones that's not bringing honor to the Lord in the sanctuary. But can I tell you that Uzziah had no question whatsoever in that moment that he had crossed the line. And this is, this is the part, the rest of it's been easy, but this is the part that I knew I was going to have a hard time teaching tonight. But there was a line that Uzziah crossed that from that moment, you know, he got leprosy then, and he died a leper. There was a mark put on him in the temple that day that he couldn't get off of him till he died. You know what my greatest fear in the world is? Can I just lay it out there to you? My greatest fear is being lost. Well, you just, you just preach it hard because... You just won't tell people what to do. No, I don't. I believe this because I don't want to be lost. I, I mean, no disrespect, but I've heard guys say, if there was no heaven or no hell, I'd still preach it. I, don't, I just don't believe that. I know God's really good, but the reason I do what I do is because I don't want to be lost. And it's that fear that's kept me in a place in my life that when I go to do something, I feel that gentle nudge of the Holy Ghost and it's like I turn around and there's 80 priests standing there. Oh, Lord. It's like I turn around and I see the faces of men that I know have prayed for me. And I see their face of disappointment that if you do that, it's going to put a mark on you that'll be on you till the day you die, son. Get your head squared up and do something for God. So I studied now for two days pretty hard. And I, I was 
I was working through this. I got up early the last two days and just went straight to the word. I said, God, speak to me. How does a guy that comes into the throne at 16, does great things, like, how does he just turn like that? You understand what I'm saying? There's a seed somewhere in there. There's something. And I started tearing his life apart. I wanted to find everything I could find about him. I started ripping apart. What did he do? Who did he sleep with? How did this happen? Where did he go wrong? What, what made him so arrogant that he thought he could walk in and do this unto the Lord? And I got to reading in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 25. And all of a sudden, it made sense to me. It said that Uzziah's father, Amaziah, had defeated the Edomites. God gave them victory. I want you to go to chapter 25 and verse 14 with me if you would please. And I think I found the seed. Came to pass after that Amaziah, this is Uzziah's dad, was come from the slaughter of the Edomites. Watch this. That he brought the gods of the children of Seir, set them up to be his gods. And watch this right here. And he bowed himself down and he burned incense unto them. You know what his father taught him? Before he was a 16-year-old king, his father said, it's just incense. It don't matter who burns it or who you burn it to, it's just incense. His dad was drunk on victory. I wasn't there. And it's not recorded, but it was almost like God carried me away in a vision. And I've been struggling with it for two days. And it was like I just saw his father dancing in victory, Bishop. And I saw him in this room setting up all these idols of the Edomites. And I watched him as he sets this incense on fire. And behind him was a doorway. And I want you to just go here with me if you can. So you got this man bowed down to idol gods. God just brought victory in his life. And I saw this open doorway back here. And I saw this little head pop around the doorway. While his dad's back was turned to the door, there was Uzziah. Why is my dad doing that? Well, I guess if dad says it's okay, it's all right. And when Uzziah got to the age that he was really celebrating victory, he had a flashback. He said, this is what my dad did when he got strong. He said, it's just incense. Let me preach to you, church. Whatever you teach your kids is more important than church will be more important to your kids than church. Whatever you show your kids 
is the most important thing in your life. It'll be the most important thing in their life. And I want to show you the danger. Oh, God. I'm telling you, I'm struggling with this in my heart tonight. The problem is his daddy offered incense to false gods and thought it not an unworthy cause. But the next generation did it to the holy God of Israel. Think about that line. explain this to you and I'll get out what his father did in his own home Uzziah did in the house of God I sat at the table yesterday with my family my mom and dad and my wife and kids we were having a venting session I'm so troubled in my spirit. I started just listening to my family talk and my kids talk. They're not in here because they're upstairs. Nene's in here. I started talking about the things that are coming to our platforms and our meetings. We got meetings that are movie themed. Used to preach against TV, and then we figured out Netflix was okay. My family and I, if we need to mute this or whatever, we'll delete it if we have to. I was studying today in the office at home. My two oldest daughters came in. They said, Dad, you need to cancel our Netflix right now. Why? They have just released these videos making a mockery of God saying that Jesus at 30 years of age brings his boyfriend home because he's gay and introduces his gay lover to his mother and that he got so drunk at the Last Supper that his friends had to come look and listen and my kid said, Dad the category is comedy. And I said, because they think it's funny. My God. He's a holy God. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is not a gay man. He is not a sot drunk. He is a king of kings. And the Lord of Lords. Somebody's going to have to stand against the culture of this world. Somebody's going to have to stand up. Because if we do it at home, our kids will take it in the church. I'm probably too out of touch. I don't know the last time I saw anything on Netflix. I couldn't tell. Honestly, God, I don't know. But I just knew that we had it. Had. Because when my babies came in, they were waiting to see what kind of response I gave. And if right then I would have said, oh, it's okay, honey. Just don't watch that. Go something else. 
your children are smarter than you think they are. The young people of this church are smarter than you think they are. They understand the spirit behind the thing. You can filter it out. You can cancel out the cussing, but you can't cancel out the spirit of it. I got to quit. We got we to gotta go. I'm telling you, if I was wrestling with God, it'd be one thing. But we're not wrestling with God anymore. We spend our time, we don't wrestle with God anymore. Like things that we used to fight for, now we fight about. Did, did, that, did anybody hear what I said? Things that we as a body of Christ used to fight for, now we just fight about. We're like, oh, that's not necessary. That's a conviction. Well, my God, we need conviction. God, if you got to take me to Jabbok and rip me apart and hold on to me all night, I'll wrestle with you. But I'm not going to wrestle against you. I am not going to fight your will. And I'm not going to show my children that it's all right in my house. 